Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, January 22nd, and this is your FT News Briefing. The U.S. is rejoining the Paris Climate Accord. So what are the next steps for America to become a leader in reducing emissions? And the European Central Bank is preparing for the next phase of the pandemic and a looming double-dip recession in the Eurozone. Plus, the global art market is in a slump. We'll take a look at how the industry is adapting to a world where buyers can't get up close and personal to the artwork. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. One of President Joe Biden's first moves after being inaugurated was to inform the U.N. that the U.S. will rejoin the Paris Climate Accord. But it's not a done deal quite yet. The FT's climate reporter, Camilla Hodson, told me what the U.S. needs to do now. Once a country has written to the U.N. to formally state that it wants to join or to rejoin, there's a 30-day waiting period before that decision becomes effective and they're officially Paris signatories. So, Camilla, once the U.S. is formally back in the agreement, it it has to put forward a plan to reduce emissions, right? Yeah, that's right. So the U.S. now needs to come up with a new emissions reduction plan before the International Climate Summit, which is in November. And that's because all countries in the Paris Agreement are supposed to draw up revised and also newly ambitious goals for 2030 ahead of the summit. However, the U.S.'s original plan is actually still in the U.N.'s Registry of Country Commitments. And that's because when President Trump withdrew from Paris, he didn't ask for it to be withdrawn. So experts are expecting that that original plan will act as a sort of placeholder until all the analysis that needs to be done for a new plan is completed. And Camilla, the U.S. also has to take steps domestically if it wants to be a global leader in reducing carbon emission, right? The U.S. is still one of the world's top emitters. And a bunch of sectors, thinking things like transport, power, housing, need to be transformed before that will change. President Biden has made really clear that he is committed to moving to a clean energy economy, but that's going to take a lot of work and will include things like revoking Trump-era environmental rollbacks, implementing stricter legislation, and also investing in things like sustainable infrastructure and technologies. Camilla Hodson is the FT's climate reporter. Thank you, Camilla. Thanks very much. The European Central Bank is responding to a surge in coronavirus infections that could drag the eurozone into a double-dip recession. Yesterday, the ECB, led by Christine Lagarde, announced it won't change interest rates or its main stimulus policy, a nearly 2 trillion euro bond buying program. The FT's Frankfurt bureau chief, Martin Arnold, covers the ECB and has more on what this means. The key element now and the question that a lot of uh, investors are asking is whether the ECB will use the full amount of its emergency bond buying programme. And a key factor that determines the pace of its bond purchases is this concept of favourable financing conditions. And Christine Lagarde was asked about that repeatedly. And she said that it doesn't depend on one particular indicator. It's a mix of many different areas, bank lending rates, household borrowing rates, uh, government bond yields, corporate credit. The ECB looks holistically, she said, at all of these things to decide whether financing conditions are still favourable and therefore whether it needs to up or reduce its bond purchases. 
And this bond buying program, it's played an important role in keeping financing costs at record lows for households and businesses and and even governments. But Martin, what about inflation? Is, Is that at all a concern? Uh, well, it, inflation is a concern. <laughs> the concern at the moment, though, is that inflation is way too low. In fact, it's been negative for the past five months and prices have been falling. That's why it's targeting favourable financing conditions, because if you can get financing conditions extremely favourable, that should stimulate demand, which should then lead to an increase in inflation. And in fact, this year we are expecting to see quite a sharp increase in inflation as some of the one-off effects that have held back inflation, like a VAT cut in some countries like Germany. Also, a lot of the, the fall in energy prices will be reversed this year. If the EU can achieve its goal of of vaccinating the majority of the population in Europe against coronavirus by this summer, that really could lead to a lifting of all the restrictions or many of the restrictions that have been imposed and a real rebound, a very strong rebound. And that could really lead to quite a surge in inflation, which would be good news for the ECB, but it would also put them in a difficult position because then people might start to ask the question of, well, does that mean that you will you will start to taper your bond purchases, you'll start to reduce the stimulus that you're providing because inflation's come up? All of those battles are ahead, but people are starting to anticipate them now. Martin Arnold is the FT's Frankfurt bureau chief. The global art market was worth $67 billion in 2018. Things have taken a turn for the worse since then. Geopolitics is one reason. There have just also been fewer big-ticket items. And then there's the pandemic. Melanie Gurlis writes about the art market for the FT. She joins me to talk about how the art world's reacting. Hey, Melanie. Hi, Mark. Melanie, how badly was the art market hit last year because of canceled art fairs and auctions and just the inability of buyers to visit galleries because of the pandemic? It was a real shock to the art market system. Uh, It's a very event-driven market. Having said that, at the end of the year's numbers that that I've seen so far were not great, but they're not completely disastrous. So the major auction houses, when you combine them, their sales figures, um, which I'm afraid is all we have in the art market, uh, but their revenues were down 26% galleries, which is a much harder number to collate uh, because it's a very, very fragmented industry. But I would guess those numbers are down a little more. I can imagine that the appetite to see a painting in real life is more than seeing it, say, over a Zoom call where you don't get the full gist of what you're looking at. Yeah, we are an inherently visual industry that there, and there is, there's nothing you can do about that. It's why we love it. And it's also you know, partly why it's been difficult. Having said that, I think a lot of the commercial players reacted relatively well and relatively swiftly. In a way, auction house business was quite virtual anyway. There was quite a lot of telephone buying. The problem with auction is not being able to show works beforehand. But they came up with some pretty jazzy live stream sales, especially at Sotheby's. It made for pretty good TV and people were quite excited. And then for the lower priced items, they just had more and more online-only auctions of high-volume, low-value items. Do you think that the ways that galleries reacted to the pandemic are likely to stick around? 
I think some of it will stick around, yes. I mean, I think overall things had to change anyway. It wasn't just COVID. It needed to calm down. You can't, there were five art fairs a week in different places around the world. Um, That was not great for business. That wasn't great for the environment. It was just too much everywhere all the time. You know, some galleries didn't have websites at all. It was either because they thought it was cool not to or more authentic not to, and now that is no longer the case. There are some antiquities dealers who are now on Instagram, and I think things like that are going to be fantastic. But I think, as you said earlier, this pandemic has actually proved how important it is to, to see art. We're not going to go completely digital. Nobody wants it, and you just, you don't, it's much harder to be passionate virtually than it is in real life. And this market needs passion. In the short term, what are some of the key events that you're looking out for coming up? There are some old masters auctions online in New York that are coming at the end of January. There's a Botticelli and a Rembrandt that are being offered and they're valued at more than $100 million. There's even an art fair. The 154, the African art fair, has actually collaborated with Christie's Auction House in Paris And they're having a very small version of the fair in Christie's building. And completely virtually, there's a new collaboration of 21 contemporary art galleries called Galleries Curate, which you can see now on galleriescurate.com. But they're all around the theme of water. And this is a completely new idea. And I'm going to enjoy seeing how that pans out. Melanie Gerlis is the FT's art market columnist. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Fiona Simon and me, Mark Filipino. Our editor is Jess Smith. We had help from Gavin Coleman, Michael Bruning, and Amy Keene. Our theme song is by Metaphor Music. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.